Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports. Ryan Drury here. I'll be joined, as always, by Clarkie and Steve Sabrin. Two great guests on the show this week. Jake Middleton, San Jose Sharks defenseman. He will join us to talk about the upcoming NHL season and his preparation. We'll also chat with friend of the show and TSN hockey analyst Dave Poulin on a wide range of topics, including that upcoming NHL season. And, of course, we'll give you some betting lines for the NFL in our wagering segment at the end of the show. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. I am Ryan Drury. That is Clarky, and that is Steve Sabrin. And we are pleased to be joined by another great special guest. NHL defenseman Jake Middleton is on with us. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate you giving us some of your time. We know you're back down in San Jose. Um, camp should be starting in early January. It's been a weird off season, obviously, probably the weirdest off season we've ever had. Um, what are some of the things that you were kind of trying to focus on through a weird off season, weird timing, you know, regularly, you'd already been playing for months on end by now. I mean, what's this off season been like for you in terms of training, getting prepared, that sort of thing? It was a whirlwind of emotions, I would say. I think it was nine months, I think we're going on now. So it was a lot different. Um, Training-wise, especially, you know, you, you come at the start, we were training because at the time when the lockdown happened out in the National League, there was word that everyone was going back to a bubble. So when we first got put in lockdown, you know, you work really hard. You're trying to stay in shape because you are hearing that there's going to be a playoff bubble involving every team. So you're trying to stay in game shape and the best shape as possible. Then it comes out that there were seven teams who didn't end up qualifying for said playoff bubble in Toronto and Edmonton. So then you're put on hold even longer. We were one of those teams in San Jose. So you're kind of sitting there going, okay, I just worked really hard for two months planning on going back to a bubble. That didn't happen. Um, then you start watching the bubble play in the NHL playoffs. And that kind of gives you the same itch. You want to work as hard and be doing as much as these guys that are doing right now. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs end. You're in a bit of a lull again. Not sure what to do. Um, we were also here in November 17th camp. Was kind of originally the plans that were being thrown around. So you start again kind of training to be in shape for a November 17th camp. And that kind of falls through. Um, and again, you're left in a, in a lull, not really sure what to do or how to go about things. But you just kind of bring the mentality that um, Jumbo Joe, who's playing in Toronto now, he always kind of says, well, I got nothing else going on, so you may as well work hard. So you just kind of, kind of take that mentality into every day saying, well, you got nothing else going on. You may as well work out and work hard and prepare for whatever's going to happen. Jake, I was going to ask you this later, but since you brought him up, and uh, as you can see, I'm a little bit of a Leaf fan. What 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 are the Leafs getting in a guy like uh, Joel? What do you think? Is it is it is he still got something to offer? I have been around pro hockey for four years now. Um, the past two years, I've been up and down between the National League and the minors. One thing Jumbo brings every day is he has a smile on his face. He is ecstatic to be at the rink and doing what he loves to do. And to see that in a guy who's played, what, 20 years plus in the National League, it that kind of hits home with you. So you might have 
especially I can't speak so much for Toronto, but there's days when you show up and things might not be going well. Jumbo is going to have a smile on his face and he'll have the room feeling like they're ready to play and just happy to be at the rink again, ready to work hard. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what it's been like for you in, in San Jose? And I know there's been changes in the team and uh, with the coaching staff and everything like that, but you mentioned you've been in the league for four years now uh, playing pro hockey. What's it been like for you? For me personally, it has been, it's been pretty crazy. If I'm being honest, when I first went pro, I didn't think I had any chance of even playing pro. I kind of thought I was going back to junior, finishing my career as an overager and heading off to CIS, which is a great career for a lot of guys. I kind of, I came out to camp not expecting much. I signed an American League deal. The following year, I signed an NHL deal after my first year in the American League. We went to the conference final against Grand Rapids. We had a great year, a tremendous team. That following year, I signed an NHL contract. Um, You kind of got more pressure on yourself to do well. You kind of, and from the position I was in, not really expecting to play even pro hockey or at the time, you're just extremely grateful and want even more. So I was fortunate. I kind of climbed through the rankings quickly at the start, I would say. Uh, My third year in, I got a call up. I played three games. The next year I was cut out of training camp. There was an injury in the first game and I went up. I myself got injured. You probably see it on social media. Ryan Reeves broke my shoulder. But uh, so it was it was a lot. My career has been up and down, but it's just been one of those things where if I look back to where I started, I, I couldn't have asked for much more at this point. I just uh, follow up to that. And, you know, we talk to a lot of players and a lot of different sports. But from your perspective, what's that jump like? Because you start in AAA, you move to junior, you go you know up to the O. And then from there, but like, what's the stepping stones like from level to level? How much of a gap is there between the AHL and the NHL when it comes to ability? I would say the biggest step any young hockey player is going to take is from going to junior level, say major junior, like I did to the American league. You go from being like at, at my time, I was 19, 20 playing in the Ontario Hockey League, and I was playing against 16, 17-year-olds, where you're a bigger guy, you're kind of a man in that league. When you go to pro, it's not just three or four 19, 20-year-olds on every team. Now you're looking at there's three or four 20-year-olds on every team, and the rest of the guys are borderline grown men. So I would say... That was my biggest step. It took me 15 games. When I when I had signed my American League deal in San Jose, I didn't play the first 15 games. And the first game I played, I was the seventh D in San Diego because we could only dress 11 forwards. There was two guys sick, so we could only we couldn't have a full roster of forwards. I got in as a seventh D. I ended up fighting in that game. Scott Sabrin, who you guys might have seen with that Austin Matthews kerfuffle in uh, Ottawa he ended up fighting me and I was like okay this is not junior hockey these guys are men yeah you kind of get you get your face filled in a little bit what I like to say because that's that's exactly what happened to me I got in as a seventh D I was fortunate 
I knew I wanted to make a statement. Scrum happened with Saverin. And from there on, I earned, we have an old school coach at the time too. He's still with San Jose Barracuda. He, I might be saying this wrong, but he's 23 years in coaching pro hockey. Um, so he is an old school guy, old school mentality. So I was fortunate to get my foot in the door and play kind of a tough game at the time. And that's what gave me an opportunity at the minor level. <laughs> but then when you go and you play in the NHL, it is every single player is a tremendous hockey player. No matter what line you're on, obviously there's superstars in this league, which is insane because every player is just elite at every aspect of the game. So I would say if we're talking the biggest jump between leagues, I think the American League between major junior would be your biggest jump where you kind of get that awakening of going, okay, everyone's a man. But then in the NHL, everyone is so good that you don't see many missed passes, right? Everyone picks up a pass. Everyone finishes their check. Everyone's in position. They're just elite at everything they do. So if you're looking at a young hockey player, the biggest jump is going to be that major junior where you might be really good to going into pro, even at the minor league level, everyone's kind of that same, same level of play. And you got to find what's going to make you successful in the NHL. I guess Don Cherry and Brian Burke would, uh, would love what you just said about being tough and, and, and giving it a go by being tough. I mean, was there a, a moment where you said, this is the way I got to play to be in this league? Absolutely. I had, I had, so last year we went through a coaching change about halfway through the year. And at that time it was Petey DeBoer. Pete actually lives up in, uh, gosh, what's the town just by Godrich Bayfield. He lives up there in the off season. So I had grown a good relationship with him because his kids uh, would skate with us in the summer His two sons. One's at BU, one's going to Holy Cross now. We would skate together in the summer. So I had a good relationship with Pete, but it wasn't really until there was a coaching change and our coach, Cowboy Roy Sommer, went up to the NHL after the coaching change. I had got called up. I'd played three games in just before Christmas. There was three games I played because of an injury. I got sent down after my injury, got called up again, played the three games. He was on the coaching staff at the time. Um, wasn't much said. I was an injury reserve. I filled in for a guy. I went down, but at the trade deadline, Brendan Dillon got traded to Washington and I was called up. And that's kind of where, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to get an opportunity to play here. You're not, you're not too worried about anything because you know, with the roster that's going on, that you're going to get that opportunity to play. But at that time, Cowboy had called me aside. I had just been called up after the deadline and we were playing in New Jersey and Cowboy called me aside and said, hey, listen, I didn't say this before, but if you want to stick around here, Bob Boogner is your head coach. I'm sure you guys know Boogie playing in the NHL. He was a, a menacing guy, right? Like he was, if he, he talked the talk and he walked the walk. So he pulled me aside and said, listen, if you, gotta, if you want to play here, you got to play tough and you got to play mean. And it, I had happened to uh, John Hayden who was on the other team at the time I had played him for a year in the minors I'd only played him twice but I knew that I had to ask someone to show what I could do and what I was capable of and he was out there and he was nice enough to 
say yes. And we got in a fight that game. And, and that kind of showed Boogie and the coaching staff and management that I'm a guy who's going to be able to do that. And that's only because I knew I wasn't going to play power play. I wasn't going to put up points in the league. There's got to be something that you got to do that's going to keep you around. We're chatting with pro NHL defenseman as my mute button malfunctions, Jake Middleton of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, like Steve mentioned, obviously in San Jose, there's been a lot of turnover. Yes, Jumbo Joe is gone now. Joe Pavelski left the year before to Dallas. Logan Couture, though, is still part of the core of that leadership group. But for you positionally on defense, um, as San Jose enters, we'll call it a, a retooling period, if you will. They still have three of the best defensemen in the NHL on their team. Of course, I'm talking about Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Mark Edward Vlasic. What's it like for you as a defenseman to walk into that room and have those three guys? I mean, let alone having one or two star players to lean on positionally. What's it like for you having those three guys in the room to be able to lean on? Yeah, you cannot ask for much more as a young defenseman in the league to have those three guys sitting across from you or beside you in the dressing room. You look at a guy like Bernsey who made a transition from forward to defense and still excelled at an exceptional rate to be a defenseman, a Norris Trophy winner. And same with Carl. He was – I remember three years ago before we got Carl, I think it was that 2017 run, if I'm not mistaken, where they were with New York in the conference finals – I had had a, a scout, uh, Jake um, Marchman, ask me about if you could have five guys in a lineup, who would it be? I instantly said Eric Carlson because he can defend, he can skate, he can be offensive. He's tremendous. And then Pickles, if you just look at him as what he's done in the NHL, but also nationally with Team Canada and such, he's a guy they always want. He's so sound and positional defensively that it it's truly something that you can only hope you can work for it, but you can't expect to be that good because these three guys are just truly exceptional defensemen. And it's quite uh, humbling, but also a, an unreal experience having those guys in the dressing room. Uh, let's go to a more personal level. And uh, I don't, you know, you had a home base in Stratford a little bit there. You, you're look, making a more permanent move to California. How supportive have uh, the people in life been in your career and, and moving on at this point, especially with a little bit more, I guess, uh, uh, a solidified contract? Uh, how big has the support been for you? Unbelievable. It, it starts with my parents, obviously. They do, they, they have always done everything they possibly can for me. They went, especially as you guys would know, playing for the Huron Perth Lakers is not a ideal scenario for any young family, right? You're 14, 13, 15, you're driving an hour. We go up to Clifford to practice. I remember when I was in Bantam, we'd go up to Clifford, which was an hour and 20 away from Stratford. So you're losing, you're losing family dinners. You're losing all that type of thing. Cause my brother was in the same boat. He was playing AAA. So that's mom's going one way. Dad's going the other way with a, a van full of young kids, just hoping to play hockey for as long as they can. So they have obviously been extremely supportive from the get-go. Uh, myself, personally, I've had a girlfriend since I was 16, and she has never once altered the way I think about attacking my career. She has been extremely forgiving and just helpful in everything. She knows that come around this time of year, I'm going to skip town and, and chase my dream, and she has been extremely acceptful of that. 
And I, I can't ask for much more with the support group that I've had. And that's tremendous news, Jake. And, and obviously we're behind you as well. Obviously, you know, having a connection to the area, we're always cheering for guys that have ties here. Uh, final one for me here, Jake, you know, if my math's correct, you've played 13 NHL games now in those games. I mean, you mentioned everybody is so good. Who's the toughest player that you've played against so far, you would say? Do we mean tough as in skill level or? Yeah, I, I guess just the, the most skilled, the scariest guy coming down the ice as a defenseman. Who would that be? My third game in the National League, I had got paired with Burnsy. We were in Edmonton. I was fortunate. I grew up for about eight, 10 years out in Alberta. So my parents flew out. I got a couple aunts and uncles and cousins out that way. They were all at the game. But that game, I was Burnsy's defense partner, and we played, I want to say, 80% of my shifts against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh-oh. They were, yeah, we're talking skill. They're, they're, they say they're, we have a saying where you got a, it's called a million-dollar high flip. If you can high flip the puck out of your zone and get off the ice, it's worth about a million dollars. I felt that when I was out on the ice against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I'm not shocked to hear that. As soon as you said Edmonton, I think we all knew the direction you were going, Jake. Um, speaking of that, your career heading in a great direction. Uh, again, congratulations on your success so far. We're rooting for you. This definitely won't be your last appearance on the show. Mark yourself down, official friend of the show. We'd love to have you back. Good luck preparing for the season. We're excited to watch you play, and thanks for doing this. Will do, guys. I appreciate this. I had fun anytime. Absolutely. Jake Middleton of the San Jose Sharks. All right, we'll take a quick break here on MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. When we come back, friend of the show, TSN hockey analyst Dave Poulin will join us for some chats about the World Juniors and, of course, the looming NHL season. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury still riding along with Clarky and Steve Sabrin, and we're very pleased to be joined by a friend of the show, and it's been a while since we've checked in with him, TSN hockey analyst Dave Poole. And Pooley, how are you, bud? Very well, Ryan. How are you guys doing? It's fine evening. We've got actually got a little bit of hockey to talk about. This is pretty exciting. It looks that way as the rumors flying that the NHL finally has an agreement in place, sounding like January 13th is going to be a start date, roughly 56 game season, still some details to be ironed out, but overall positive news. What's your thoughts on this Pooley? the right move for the, uh, for the NHL and the players association to kind of get this done and hammer it out. Yeah, Ryan, I, I think it was really important. You know, I was working that fateful day, the 12th of March, when all of this shut down for the first time. And we ended up being on air for about six hours. And one of the things, you know, and you're flying totally cold. It was it was Pierre Lebron and Dregs, myself and Duffy. And you're just absorbing the information as it comes in. And one of the things I thought about and said on air that day was it was a unique opportunity. We had no idea what was ahead. It was a unique opportunity for the NHLPA and the NHL to get to a whole different level of relationship that could, you know, they could benefit for years to come if in the worst of scenarios, they handle it properly. And that's what we saw through the return to play in the pause. And then when this started up, the second iteration, basically the 2021 season, it became a negotiation against each other. And, and, I know Gary Bettman said it wasn't a negotiation. 
flat out it was a negotiation. And the current young stars of the game take, you know, the Mitch Marners, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Nate McKinnon. They don't know the Gary Bettman that they saw for about a two-week period there. They would have no reason to. They came into the league. Everything was flowing great. They signed their entry-level deals. They all got big A and B bonuses. They stepped right into their mega deals with no bridges. You know, they're making tremendous volumes of money with huge signing bonuses. They had no work stoppages. And they probably were bemused or amused that people booed Gary Bettman when he gave out the cup, because they'd be like, what's wrong with this guy? This guy's great. You know, I'm, I'm in the NHL. Life is good. Well, what, what's the big issue? But they had never seen Gary Bettman, the negotiator, the, you know, the, the leader of the owners. And that's what they saw for a couple of weeks there. And then I'm not sure exactly what happened, but it was almost as if two experienced guys and Donald Fear and Gary Bettman turned and looked at each other and said, we've got a bigger negotiation on our hands and it's called COVID-19 and a pandemic. And if we don't both turn all of our focus to figuring it out in this environment, this is simply not going to work. And whether it was people behind them, they've all got veteran guys, you know, the Bill Daly's behind them in the world and, and, you know, and Donald Ferris, his people that he trusts behind him, whether it was just the two of them or the people behind them, but I give them a tremendous amount of credit, Ryan, because they eliminated whatever was going on there between them and said, okay, we'll get that worked out at some far later date. Let's figure out if we can get this back on track. Hey, Pooley, um, I didn't want to get too into CBA because a lot of people don't really care about it, but do you think there's something the players are looking at? Maybe not even now, but just something that is attainable for the players. I mean, hey, as a Leaf fan, I'd love to see a luxury tax and everything else and uh, let them spend a little bit more money, but I don't think that's going to happen. Do you ever think that's going to happen? And is, Do you think there's something the players are looking for here that is actually attainable? They should be, Clarky. You know, well, what, it, what, yeah, what is it? Well, when I got caught up in the NBA draft one night, I think because I was preparing for overdrive, I went through all the exemptions in the contracts of CBA for NBA players. And it is staggering the number of exemptions. Like, it's, it's almost beyond belief. So this all started with the Larry Bird exemption. Larry Bird's playing for the Boston Celtics. Um, Red Auerbach, the legendary GM, says, I'm not losing Larry Bird. I don't care if there's a salary cap. There's going to be something called the Larry Bird exemption. And you're allowed to pay your best player as much as you want to and keep him on your team. And that was the start of it. And guys, you have to actually Google this for your own amusement. The mid-level exemption for a guy who wears one left shoe. The the tri-level exemption for the rookie who doesn't qualify like it's unbelievable what they've made up to enable more money to get in the system. So I don't know if it's that drastic, the Larry bird exemption, you, you can, you know, that's almost like the, um, what do they call it in football? The designated player, the, the franchise player. tag, yes, um, the franchise tag. Yeah. So that sort of thing. But one thing that jumped out at me, Clarky was what if you came with, two amnesty buyouts and you could trade one of the amnesty buyouts with the player. So, so let's be creative here and say, okay, 
you know, T-Max has a player, John Smith, that has four years left at $7 million a year and they want to move him. They can move him to a wealthy team with the amnesty buyout. And, you know, and you'd say, well, the rich get richer. Well, okay, but so does the team that wants to move John Smith because they'll get an asset back for John Smith and they'll clear him off their books. And they'll have that money to put back into the system or to keep whatever they want to. Uh, Pooley, just wanted to touch on the 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 excitement of a start date. Um, with everything that is going though on in the U.S. Um, with travel, and we're seeing it with the NBA, they've got preseason coming up, and there's COVID concerns there. The NFL is still having its struggles. Um, is it, I guess, a target that is realistic? Uh, I believe it is. If you're going to be really flexible with it, Steve, like you're going to have to be able to be adjusting as we go. And so hypothetical, um, we've talked now today, Frank Cervelli talked about um, some sort of hybrid bubble. Well, what if out of the gate, you told me there were two cities you can play in. Um, and once again, we're just, we're, you know, hypothesizing here. You can play in Ottawa and Vancouver. Okay. So Toronto and Montreal go to Ottawa. The three Western teams go to Vancouver and your first iteration of the bubble is a 10 day to 12 day bubble where each team plays each other three times. And then you mix those two bubbles together and then Manitoba gets a break or something happens in Calgary. That's okay. And you're going to have to be flexible, but I love potential of the individual rivalries and team rivalries that could come out of whatever happens here. And this is, I got to tell you, the old Patrick division, we learned to hate each other in a whole different way. And then I got traded up to, to Boston, the Adams division. Like, so the Patrick division, you're playing a team, the Rangers, that are, I don't know, 30 points behind you in the playoffs. But all of a sudden, when you're lining up, you've played each other seven or eight times during the year. It doesn't matter what's happened. And you're playing each other in a series, and here we go again. And then you're doing it in multiple years. And for us, we had two extremes. We had the Rangers at one end, then you had the Stanley Cup perennial champions and the Islanders at the other end. And the rivalries that I personally built with Brian Trotchy and Mike Bossy and Danny Podvat over those playoff series, boy, it, was, it just led to a whole different regular season. So these Canadian teams are potentially going to see each other nine times during the regular season. Four teams make the playoffs. You're going to see at least two teams up to seven times more each. This is going to be great. I mean, in, in Boston, it was Hartford we had absolute battles with. And you'd say, well, Hartford wasn't very good. Well, yes, they were. And they were really good. And look at those teams with Ronnie Francis and Pat Verbeek and Kevin Deneen and Ray Ferraro. They were really good teams. But they couldn't get it by us. But they were seven-game battles. And then it was Buffalo with LaFontaine and McGillney. Montreal, we played three times in absolute gong shows. Like, it was great. And I'm saying that because it went past the team to the individual level to the point where when I signed out of the division with Washington, Pat LaFontaine came up to me before an exhibition game somewhere in Carolina and said, hey, Pooley, congratulations on the new contract. My wife read about it first. She's so excited that you're not in our division anymore. <laughs> the wives were involved because it was so great. And, and I think 
until you've played a team in a, in a really heated playoff series, um, you don't have a rivalry. It's too hard to cultivate. But now you'll play a team like, okay, so Toronto plays Columbus in the playoff series, but now they're only going to play each other, you know, if it was the regular situation two or three times next year. Well, that's not the same. It's not the same at all. And so you're going to have to be flexible, Steve, and you're going to have to say this isn't the norm. And hockey players like to put their schedule up in their fridge at the start of the year. And now, you know, it's to the point where teams have to give players basically their full schedule at the start of each month because of those mandated CBA days off, the four days off. And so everything is so regiment and so regulated, throw it out the window, guys. It's, it's, it's not quite throw the sticks in the middle of the ice and pick sticks and we'll play a game on an outdoor rink, but you're going to have to be able to adjust and you're going to have to be able to take whatever's thrown at you. And I do think the start date is realistic. Already you're seeing now the rollout, the potential rollout of vaccines how that's going to look, all the logistics involved in that. And, um, you know, even the way we've learned so much through this about supply side and, and logistics and everything, and even, you know, the guys they've named Fortan nationally and, and Hillier provincially, like how smart is that getting those guys involved for the rollout of this and logistics and all that sort of thing. But um, I'm encouraged. I think it's realistic, but it might not be exactly what we think it's going to be. Certainly, there's going to be some bumps along the road for sure. Chatting with a TSN hockey analyst in front of the show, Dave Poole. And Pooley, you mentioned how it's going to be a weird year and it's not quite sticks in the middle, but it could be, you know, an enhanced version of that, obviously. We've kind of gotten a bit of a sneak peek at what the rumored division alignments might look like. Of course, the Canadian, the all-Canadian division, it's been a topic that's been talked about for a couple months now. If that is what comes to pass, which I think is extremely likely at this point, um, and this is a hard question, of course, but who do you think is kind of the favorite to come out on top of that? Because, you know, the Leafs probably have the most talented team on paper, maybe. I mean, I mean I'm sure a lot of people are of that opinion, but there are some darn good teams here in Canada. Everyone's got flaws. The Leafs blue line for one still. Um, Winnipeg, you know, their blue line is kind of patchwork, but they've got a great goalie and great forwards. Vancouver, same type of thing. They lose a goalie. I mean, this could be really, really wild. It really could be. It's hard to say that a team didn't get better in Canada. Like, it's hard to point at a team and say, well, that team did not get better. Um, the sleeper for me is Winnipeg, guys, because they didn't get it done last year. But they didn't get it done because they lost their four top defensemen. And I argue any team that loses their four top defensemen, I mean, come on. You know, and, and won at the last minute in Bufflin and, and patches it together like they were able to do. It's pretty remarkable. I think they're a better team than they were last year. They've got a couple of young kids coming to a kid named Dylan Sandberg who played uh, at Minnesota Duluth, and they tried to get out of school last year. I think Sandberg steps right in the lineup and plays. Uh, Villa Hanola, first-rounder from a couple of years, also potentially steps in, as does Sammy Niku, who was the defenseman of the year in the first all-rookie team a couple of years ago in the AHL. So I think they're a little bit of a sleeper team. Everybody else flat-out got better. I mean, they got better. And so it's going to really be fun. I think Toronto is the most talented team simply by their, their group up front and how, you know, how powerful they are. Um, they also better get it done, Clarky. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Agreed. They better get it done. They better, you know, and, um, you know, the additions they made were all very pointed, all make great sense. But, you know, I'd have been a lot more thrilled if it was six years ago when you're adding Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons and, and Zach Bogosian and that group. I mean, you know, then then mm-hmm. I'm intrigued, though. I'm intrigued by what they've done. It seems to be a little bit of a not a, a culture shift on on management's part, but certainly a, a realization that there are different elements that go into building a hockey team and not simply pure ski, speed and skill and and talent. I mean, there's elements that go into it. Um I really, really like what Montreal has done. You know, I do a lot of their games, but boy, oh boy, I do not want to go in front of their net right now. I mean, nobody did in the playoffs and they beat Pittsburgh and they took Philly right to the wire, but you've added Joel Edmondson to Sherratt, you know, who's a beast and, and Weber. And somehow Jeff Petrie's learned how to be mean by watching Shea Weber. And and now you've got to go in front of that net. And everybody's excited about this Romanoff kid. I haven't seen a player come in with this quite this much hype by the team that drafted him as hyping them. Usually it's other people, media types that are hyping them, but it's their own group that's hyping them. So, you know, and then you've got uh, Markstrom going into to Calgary. I really like Vancouver. Everybody wants to count out, but you know, Thatcher Demko was pretty darn good. And if, if you're going to say who arguably stole a goalie in the summer, I think Vancouver stole Braden Holby. I really do. And yeah, he had a little bit of a down year, but so did Washington. And uh, so it's going to be a really fun division. I think Toronto's at the top of it. I think Ottawa is at the bottom of it. But do you want to play Ottawa nine times? They are going to be a royal pain. You know, and I went through their lineup today for a different reason. And they're going to be competitive within their own group. They've got some really nice young players. And they're going to be fun to watch. And they're going to, and DJ Smith's teams play hard. So it's going to be, I think really, really exciting. I do think Toronto's at the top. Um, you know, two through six. Boy, oh boy, you could you could juggle them pretty good there. And I think Ottawa's at the bottom. And, and two through six, I think it's going to be a pure battle. Cooley, we're almost out of time with you. I just wanted to ask you one last thing here. I don't know if you saw um, Rick Westhead's report on this this new hazing story in junior hockey, mm-hmm. but. It's extremely upsetting, obviously. We're all aware of, you know, the the lawsuit that Dan Carcillo and a number of players brought forth uh, late last year. I just want to ask you, I mean, playing high-level hockey for a long time, obviously playing junior yourself, and and you played back in kind of an old-school era. I mean, did you ever see anything or, or experience anything like that, like what we read in this story? Because it's it's a pretty dicey looking look, if you will, for junior hockey in this report by Rick Westhead. Yeah, it really is, Ryan. I think a lot of that has been eliminated over the years. I really do. And in a positive way. And, you know, some of the stuff they're talking back, back in the seventies and eighties, I only played one year of tier two and I didn't join the tier two team that I played for until mid to late November. So it was a very, very different circumstance. And, um, in the NHL, I think it was well on its way out by the time, you know, that I was arriving and, and there were some things early and I was a captain my second year in the league and just put a stop to it all. I mean, I simply just said, it's not the way it's going to work. And, you know, and I think that's what it, it would take as individuals to step up. And it's so hard because the, the individuals rotate in and out of junior hockey. And, you know, and, and the, the basis of initiation is that if you, 
were initiated in a certain manner four years before that. And it, finally, it was your term to sit, your time to sit at the top of the food chain. Then you wanted to do, you know, to others what had been done to you. And that's systemic and it's, it's you know, that's human nature. And a large part of it has been eliminated. And, you know, it's very, very unfortunate. Um, I do think as it's risen to the top of all our minds and consciousness, that that that's the way it's eliminated. And that's the way it has to be eliminated to go back and say, you know, this is what happened 25 years ago. Um, it was just such a different world. And, and for everyone, it was and you knew what you knew at that time. And it's really hard to go back. And it's hard because, you know, the principles involved. And it's a real challenge. But you know, I, I think the awareness of it is if the best thing that comes out of all this is the pure awareness of it and the understanding that it can't happen, you know, then that's a victory in itself. Bully, I have one more question for you. Last week we had James Duffy on and uh, he was talking about his new book and said, if you ever have Pooley on, ask him about his story. He didn't fill us in, but we have you on now. What was your story to James? Boy, I had a bunch of different options and I sit beside him when he's doing all this stuff, you know, on the panel and he's generating all the ideas. But the story I told guys um, was one about Mike Milbury, who, you know, and when I say this, a lot of people raise their eyebrows, but I consider, you know, at the top of the list for the coaches I had in the NHL. And I only had him for two years in Boston. And, and when he went elsewhere, he struggled. He seemed to struggle, but for that group of players, he was perfect and he was only going to do it for two years. He had a two year bag of tricks and he was going to be the assistant general manager at the end of two years, regardless of what happened. Mm. And, and so that's a different way to go into a job when you know, you know, you that it's a defined term. So we went to uh, Winnipeg. I'd been traded there maybe two to three weeks previous. So it's late January, early February of 1990. And, uh, six game road trip started in Winnipeg Sunday night and we're in first place overall in the NHL and we lose to a really good Winnipeg team. And there's been a lot of talk about those Winnipeg teams because of the loss of Dale Howard, Chuck and how, you know, how great those teams really were. So we lose three, two in a Sunday night and we don't play again until the following Saturday in Vancouver. And back then you got one long West coast road trip and your, your time was either in LA or Vancouver. So ours was going to be a full week off in van and we weren't scheduled to skate till Thursday. And so Milbury didn't say a word after the game and it was a really good game and didn't say a word. We lost three, two. We got up on Monday morning. We flew to Vancouver. He got up on the bus and he said, we're going straight to the rink. And guys are like, Oh God, we weren't even supposed to skate till Thursday. Uh, we got to the rink. He said, you have 20 minutes to get on the ice. Mad scramble. Like, I needed 20 minutes just to to get up off the bench, you know. It was like, come on. And so as we stepped out on the ice, he didn't let anybody skate or anything. As you stepped out, you had to stand right along the board. So we were all along the boards on this side of the ice. Full gear, taped up, ready to go. So he comes out and he said, you know, we can do whatever we want physically. We don't play till Saturday night. And, you know, I could kill you. I've got the ice for three hours each of the next four days. But he said, but this isn't physical. This is mental. But there's some things that's really, really bugging me about some of you guys. So what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to tell each of you what's bugging me. And I'm going to skate because I need a workout today. And so he started with Lyndon Byers. He said, Lyndon Byers, you're one of the toughest kids in the NHL. And some nights you do it perfectly. You know what's good for the team. You know how to do it. You do it perfectly. And some nights you have no clue. You have no clue when we need it. You think you need it for your ego. Um, and that's not what it's about. And by the way, I'm fully aware of your off-ice game. You're not going to last if you continue your off-ice game. And for that, I'm going to skate. So he went over and back twice. So we're thinking, oh, boy, this could be interesting. So he got to me, and he said, three weeks ago, Harry Sinan traded for the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. He said, I'm not sure I've ever seen our locker room as happy and excited as I did that night. And he said, about a non-game. He said, they were ecstatic. They couldn't believe that we traded for the captain of the Flyers. And he said, and then you come in here and, and some nights you're our best player. And some nights your head's back in Philadelphia. And when you decide that you have a B on the front of your jersey and you wear gold and black and you're not going back to Philadelphia, then we'll have a chance to win. And for that, I'm going to skate over and back, over and back. So this is now, he's halfway through and we're thinking, this guy's having a heart attack. Okay, he's turning red. He's sweating. He gets to Craig Janney, an unbelievably skilled kid, 23 years old. He said, CJ, you're our best player. You're our most skilled player. Like, come on. You're our most skilled forward by far. And he said, you are arguably the worst conditioned pro athlete I have ever seen in my life. And for you, I will skate nowhere. And he went right to the next guy. <laughs> and it was painful, painful. Oh. And so we're all waiting, right? Pretty good player in that team. So he gets to Ray Bork. He said, number 77. He said, I played with number four. He was really good. He said, you're going to go down. And he held his hand up. He said, "Is one of the top five maybe players to play your position in the history of the game. You are that good. And he said, but you still got to use the middle of the ice, don't you? You still have to come up the middle of the ice. You can't avoid it. He said, you just do what you want to do sometimes, don't you? Ray, Ray, giveaway. And he said, for that, I'm going to skate. And he went over and back and over and back. And it, like, seriously, I thought he was going to have a heart attack three different times. We had moved. He gets to the end. He said, if I see one of you in the next three days, I'll probably kill you. And he skated off the ice. And it was as effective mm. a thing as I can ever remember. And so we went out and beat Vancouver 7-1. And my good friend Ray, I believe, had a goal and five assists. <laughs> And after the game, I said, how you doing, buddy? He said, Ray, Ray, give away my ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, I love uh, it. And so we went back to back. We beat Vancouver, or we beat Vancouver 7-1. We beat Edmonton, Calgary on a Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, right in their heyday. We beat Minnesota, maybe, and Chicago and went home. And, but that to me was creative. It was, and, and I, you know, Milbury, that's a different show because he did some really, really creative things. And, uh, 
and I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was creative and, you know, and this really, really a different way to do business. Well, I know he is one of Ryan's favorite analysts. Okay, let's relax. But here. he, but he's disliked as an analyst. He was disliked as a general manager. He was disliked as a coach elsewhere. All I know is, at that exact point in his life, and that exact point in our lives, we went to the finals the first time and lost to Edmonton, and the next year we lost to Pittsburgh in Mario's first Cup team. So, you know, in the conference finals. So we played in seven playoff series in eight years, and uh, you know what? He got out a lot out of a group of guys that that understood what he was trying to do. He didn't hit any of his guys with a shoe, did he? No, he did he not. Didn't. He did not. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, you're, he you're right. He's, he certainly got a lot out of that that group. And I mean, hey, one of the toughest players of all time, Chris Knuckles Nyland, said he was his favorite coach. He he loved him. So yeah. I mean, there's there's merit to that, obviously. Dave, we're out of time. We really appreciate you doing this. Uh, TSN Hockey Analyst in front of the show, Dave Poulin. Uh, a great story as well. You can read all about it in Duffy's new book, Beauties. Look at that, James. We plugged your book two weeks in a row. So uh, we'll we'll expect the uh, check in the mail. Dave, we really appreciate this. Thanks so much. Okay, have a great night, guys. Thanks. Thanks to our buddy Dave Poulin of TSN Hockey. We'll take a quick break and come back with our wagering picks of the week, courtesy of CoolBet. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to Wrapping Up here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co and our wagering expert, Chris Abbott. Unfortunately, for the first time, unavailable this week. Hey, these things happen, but I am maybe. Hey, Ryan, Ryan, yes. maybe, maybe he had the uh, the Jets last week. Um, that was unbelievable. Like, what the heck is going on there? Yeah, that was a crazy game. Uh, I mean, especially if you had Jets on the money line, maybe like you're insinuating our buddy Chris might have had. Yeah, that was absolutely nuts. And I actually tweeted that if they if the Raiders had lost that game, they should have walked John Gruden off the field with a pink slip and said, thank you very much. $10 million a year and you lose to the New York Jets. I don't think so, sir. <laughs> but he he survives another day. It was a it was a wild game. And uh, if you heard both radio calls, the Jets ex- uh, announcers were just as excited as the Raiders because they want that number one overall pick. They want Trevor Lawrence. So it was definitely interesting. And of course, the NFL, it always uh, offers up interesting betting lines. And, you know, it'll be interesting. I'll I'll take over for our buddy Chris Abbott this week and I'll lay down some action here. Uh, First one, Kansas City at Miami. Now, obviously, I'm going to take Chiefs on the money line. But if you want to bet the spread, the Dolphins defense has actually been pretty impressive this year. I like what former Patriots coach Brian Flores is selling down there. Take the Dolphins to cover the seven points let's check out vikings buccaneers old boy tom brady things have not been going well the last couple weeks i still like the bucks on the money line but i like kirk cousins and minnesota to cover the six and a half points and of course the big one bills hosting the steelers the previously undefeated steelers washington takes a chunk out of them i think they bounce back and they beat the bills take steelers on the money line but buffalo i think this is going to be a close one spreads at two and a half i actually think pitt will cover that by barely maybe by a field goal so if you're feeling risky take pittsburgh on that uh on that spread and certainly take it on the money line they are going to come in and, and do some damage to josh allen and the bills that's what uh, i am selling here for our buddy chris abbott our I, hey 
And just let you know, in the Kurtzville Hockey League, which I'm in, we do a pool every week. We pick 11 NFL games. Last week, I was 9-2. and two. The two games I got wrong was the Seattle Giants game. Like, come on. And and the uh, the Steelers game. So I, like, easily could have went 11-0. Those two games cost me. Oh, well. Yeah, it's a tough one, man. Still a they good bite. week, though. Absolutely. They bite you sometimes. I, I didn't come out on top last week, but, hey, the NFL, it's uh, one of the funnest leagues to bet on, and you can visit coolbet.co for all your wagering needs. Uh, so those are my picks uh, sitting in for our buddy Chris Abbott from coolbet.co. Hey, we appreciate Jake Middleton from the San Jose Sharks joining us. We appreciate, of course, our buddy Dave Poulin from TSN Hockey for joining us. I'm Ryan Drury. That is Clarky. That is Steve Sabrin. You've been listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by coolbet.co. Listen every Friday just after 6 on CKNX AM 920 and CKNX.ca. Watch the show Friday nights at 8, Sunday nights at 9 on Whiteman and find us on all the best podcast apps. Follow us on Twitter and social media as well. You've been listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. <laughs> 